Welcome to the show. Wow, do we have a lot to get to. In fact, we are going to be heading to Kingston almost immediately. You just heard Matt Trevithick tell us that RCMP have charged one youth with terrorism-related offenses. This story began with a warning of uh, a raid and the fact that we had seen matters of national security come into play. And so now what we are able to do is take you to Kingston, where the RCMP and a number of other law enforcement agencies have teamed up, and they are holding a news conference that is just getting underway. And the first speaker you are going to hear from is RCMP Chief Superintendent Michael Lesage. Let me begin by thanking everyone for their cooperation and patience yesterday. During the significant police presence in your community, I want to assure you that there is no threat to the public safety at this time, and we took every possible measure to mitigate any potential threat at the time of arrest. Yesterday's operation was conducted in a manner to, in a manner to protect citizens and police. I, I acknowledge that there has been a delay in communicating with the public on the nature of the threat and the arrests. It is imperative that we follow the appropriate judicial processes, engage with the community, and ultimately ensure the integrity of the investigation. I am now in a position to confirm a few details with you. Earlier today, the RCMP charged one young person following, with the following criminal code offenses. Knowingly facilitating a terrorist activity, contrary to section 83.19 of the criminal code, and counseling a person to deliver, place, discharge, or detonate an explosive with the intent to cause death or serious bodily injury contrary to section 431.2 of the criminal code, which offense was not committed and did thereby commit an offense contrary to section 464A of the criminal code. No further details will be provided due to the age of the individual. A second individual, an adult male, has also been arrested. To give some background, the RCMP received credible information of a potential terrorist threat in late December 2018 we immediately started a robust national security criminal investigation and the RCMP was able to gather sufficient evidence for the Attorney General to approve laying Section 83.19 charges against the individual. As I alluded earlier, we are mindful of the impacts that the arrests have on, a, on the community. I would also like to once again assure you the RCMP took immediate, took, immediately took the necessary steps to ensure public safety. While these are significant charges, there was no imminent threat to the public or to infrastructure. Many of you may have wondered about the airplane reported over Kingston recently. We can confirm that RCMP air assets were involved in this investigation. Investigations of this nature are extremely complex and resource intensive, as the RCMP must balance the collection of evidence with maintaining public safety. I can confirm at this time that the RCMP has required over 300 resources to support this investigation. Investigations of this nature require ex extensive cooperation and collaboration with our domestic and international partners. I would like to acknowledge our partners in this investigation, notably the Federal Bureau of Investigation, whose continued collaboration with the RCMP on operational files such as these contribute to the safe and secure border. Here in Canada, I'd like to emphasize and support and thank also the Kingston Police, Ontario Provincial Police, Canadian Border Services Agency, 
Canadian Security Intelligence Services, Financial Transactions and Reports Analysis Centre of Canada. We also encourage the public to remain vigilant and to report any information or terrorism or related suspicious activities to the National Security Information Network at 1-800-420-5805 or by contacting the police in their community. All right, that is from Kingston, and that was RCMP Chief Superintendent Michael Lesage. And that basically spells out a lot of the answers that they can give, and maybe I shouldn't use the word a lot because there aren't a lot of answers that they can give, but answers that they can give about something that has been ongoing since late December of 2018. There was talk on the weekend about a plane flying low over Kingston. There were a lot of questions. And then all of a sudden, yesterday, we started hearing reports about a matter of national security, about raids on houses. Right now, if you want to get more information on this story, and I'll relay some of it to you, and we may be able to return to the news conference in just a moment, but I will relay some of the details to you. What we're going to do is kind of break this down at, at least as as much as we know of it. You can visit our website at globalnews.ca or 980cfpl.ca and you can see a story that, again, deals with the fact that there is a youth that has been arrested and the fact that you have another individual involved. But remember, we heard from RCMP Chief Superintendent Michael Lesage, no imminent threat but we'll see how this is looked at after more details do become available. We will go back to Kingston right now where they're taking questions on the matter. Were there any, uh, the individual was uh, reported to be involved in the manufacturing of homemade improvised explosive devices, and that was one of the subjects of our investigation. Did you find any? Uh, there were there were elements and trace elements, uh, but I'm not prepared to conduct. Con I'm not prepared to uh, speak on that with regards to the ongoing investigation. When you say elements and trace elements, these are elements that could have been turned into an explosive. There may have been precursor elements. Yes. Uh, you, that, is that determined that you found that in, in one of the homes? Yes. Which home? I can't comment on that. Sorry, David Cochran with CBC. Can you explain to us why the 20-year-old has been arrested but not charged? The investigation remains ongoing, uh, so the individual is arrested as part of the active investigation, but as the investigation remains ongoing, uh, we were not prepared to charge at this time. Is there a deadline or a timeline by which you must decide to charge or release? Can you give us a tick-tock on that? Uh, there is a deadline for release, uh, but there is no deadline on the decision to charge in an ongoing investigation. So what is the deadline for release in this circumstance? Uh, the release would be coming up uh, within 24 hours of the arrest date. Right, so like is that 6 o'clock tonight, is that, can, can you tell us the time, is uh, what I'm asking for? So today's judicial process I can't comment on, uh, I wasn't I wasn't there to view it, uh, but 24 hours is the is the retention. Michael Couture from Global National, sorry, just back here. Uh, because these are terror, terrorism related charges, can you give us any insight as to whether or not he was in contact or inspired by any terrorist organization? Uh, no, I cannot comment on that, I'm sorry. So then why, why did you feel confident to be able to lay those charges? Uh, through the course of the investigation and the evidence that we collected, uh, 
public safety is at the, the forefront of what we do. Uh, and I should add that at no time was the city of Kingston or any Canadian area under direct threat. Uh, but through the collection of evidence, uh, we accumulated sufficient amount of evidence to move forward with the charges. Can I just ask about the FBI involvement? Was this a cross-border tip that helped zero in on these two individuals? In December of 2018, we did receive credible FBI information regarding a, a, an attack plot uh, with no specific time, date, or location affixed to it, uh, but it was an FBI-led investigation from that point. Excuse me, it, it was an FBI information at that point. Were you able to identify any specific timeline or target through the course of this investigation, or is it still they were planning something but no specific target had been identified? There was no specific target identified. There was an attack plan, uh, which is what led to our disruption yesterday. Did the, did the attention your plane got, did that accelerate the timing of this operation yesterday once people realized that was a Mountie plane flying around? and have made it into the news, did that cause you to move? No, it did not. The, the plane operations for the RCMP are used for a number of uh, situations from prisoner transport to any number of other investigative requirements. Jim Bronfield, the Canadian Press, that there were also reports of planes in uh, Nova Scotia, RCMP activity there, northern Nova Scotia. Is there another uh, province involved in this or perhaps further arrests? Uh, that information is unrelated to this investigation. No, I'm sorry, I can't comment on that. Fraser Snowden with Global News Kingston. Can you tell us if this is related at all to the uh, number of lockdowns that happened at the schools here in Kingston last year in December? I am aware of that, but it is a completely unrelated situation. Are they Canadian citizens? I, I cannot comment on that. Had they been living in Kingston for a period of time? Uh, they are residents of Kingston. In terms of how long they've been living here, I, I don't have specifics on that. How did the FBI find out about this? I can't really discuss some of the sensitivities surrounding uh, the way the information is procured by our, our federal, uh, by our federal enforcement partner in the U.S. Uh, however, when the information is, is provided to the RCMP, it's provided as credible information, and that's what we act on. Was it online communication? Was it? I, I can't comment on that right now. What happened in the last few days that went from watching these two individuals to moving in on them with such force? So it was a very collaborative process. Uh, there was, as you heard, a number of uh, police and security agencies involved with this. Uh, the decision to arrest was not one because we have met any kind of uh, threat to public safety. At no time was there a threat to public safety. The decision to arrest was made strictly on the collection of evidence and accumulating a substantial amount of evidence that allowed us to charge. Uh, no, no further need to, to pursue the investigation at that time. Can you quantify for us when you said there were elements of bomb-making materials? Can you paint us a bit of a picture for people at home who are trying to figure out what that means? Uh, so I can't really comment on that. That's part of the investigative process and the evidence that we're working with right now. Uh, suffice to say that the elements that were discovered uh, were sufficient uh, to allow us to frame uh, the, the arrest and the criminal charges. Vous avez trouvé à l'intérieur de ces maisons, vous parlez d'explosifs ou de traces 
Euh, on peut pas répondre à cette question en ce moment. Ça fait partie de l'enquête. That is coverage of a news conference that is being held by the RCMP. The voice that you were just hearing is RCMP Superintendent Peter Lambertucci. And if you're just joining us on London Live, welcome to Friday. Welcome to the show. But you're probably hearing words like public safety, explosives, uh, arrests. Charges. Yeah, that's what they are dealing with. And it's going to be a really interesting story to follow from this point on in terms of what other details do come out. Because here's the way that this has basically been, and to use RCMP Superintendent Lambertucci's word, framed in all of this, because that's what they had. They essentially had a framework that allowed them to move in and lay charges against... First of all, a young offender. So you have the Youth Criminal Justice Act that prevents release of information regarding who this individual is. And there is still an investigation going on. So we're not going to find out a lot about it. I'll tell you another detail in just a moment that Global News has been able to obtain. But I'll get to that in just a minute. But the charges are this. Knowingly facilitating a terrorist activity and counseling a person to deliver, place, discharge, or detonate an explosive or other lethal device. So you hear that and you think, there was a threat. Well, RCMP to this point have said, no, there was no imminent threat. How the story seems to go is back in December of 2018, the FBI contacts the RCMP and says, hey, how are things in Kingston? Uh, fine. Um, better check that. Here's something that we have concerns about, and they didn't necessarily know a location. They didn't necessarily know any more about the investigation that they're willing to let everyone in on, but that prompted a further investigation that involved all kinds of individuals, from CSIS to Kingston Police to Canadian Border Services. Of course, the FBI continued with the the arm that they had allowed to enter into the investigation. And so essentially what we seem to have is a 20-year-old that is involved in this and then a young offender. So how they work together, nobody's going to give us that information just yet, but they did want to say that there is no imminent threat. They actually had time to get permission from the Attorney General in order to carry out an investigation, or if you want to call it a raid, that word has been used as well, on two homes in Kingston. Here's a detail, and again, you can find a complete story on this, and if you would like to see more of the news conference that is taking place, I would encourage you to go to 980cfpl.ca or globalnews.ca. But if you read through the story, there is a house that was raided, and again, that's a word that's being used, that belonged to a refugee family that fled to Canada from Syria. Now, it was sponsored by four churches. According to the documents from the church, there was a sponsored family. Now, this doesn't necessarily have a connection, so please don't go making that connection. That's not what I'm trying to do right now. I'm just giving you the other information that did not come out in the RCMP news conference that has been reported. And so you've got 
a member of the church who oversaw a sponsorship said, hey, I was intimately involved with the sponsorship as co-chair of the group. I know the family very well. This has come as a total shock. So whether or not this has a connection, that can't be said. But that at least is something that has been reported. So a news conference involving RCMP, it was a national security investigation, and you did hear RCMP Superintendent Peter Lambertucci saying that they found elements and trace elements that could be used in the creation of explosives, that there was no threat, so it's not like they had picked out a location, it's not like anything had gone that far. Do we look at this and say, well, this is encouraging? Because in a case like this, it doesn't matter whether it's terrorism or whether it is something that is lower down the scale, you're, in, you're fighting invisible enemies. You're not going to see someone walking down the street with a blinking light above them saying, yeah, I'm, I'm engaged in terrorist activities or I have ties. You don't see that. So largely, you are fighting an invisible enemy. And in this case, if they were able to uncover something with the help of the FBI, if they were able to investigate it with the help of all of the other organizations that were involved, then what do we have? We, we have a success story, don't we? Because they, they didn't seem to get to a point where they had established any targets, at least not that the RCMP is willing to tell us. So right there, you've got a success story. Something is working. If, in fact, you have at least one individual, perhaps two individuals, who may have been working to create explosives. Uh, one of the charges, again, is essentially counseling someone to deliver and discharge an explosive. So, again, there's a lot that we don't know about it, but right now it does look like a good news story. We're going to take a quick break on London Live. We've got a lot more to come on the show. We are going to be talking about something that is an idea, and it's an idea that would help people who are unemployed, perhaps even on social assistance, and that idea would actually take them to Stratford, Ontario. So we're going to go to Stratford, Ontario, and we're going to do that in about 15 minutes from now to find out more about this. Unemployed, on social assistance, going to Stratford is going to help. Okay. And it would be called a super commute or would use super commuters. Hmm. Pique your interest? We'll talk about it. We're also going to talk travel. We'll talk about the life of a hockey scout later on in the show. We'll talk some Knights and Spitfires. But if any more information does come out of Kingston, because, again, those were some very good questions asked. You heard Global National News reporter Mark Carcassol asking questions. Those are very good questions that were asked, but we're getting to the point where RCMP have said, yeah, this investigation, yeah, it's still kind of going here. So can't say this, can't say this, can't say this. What we do know is that there was no imminent threat and that this investigation is definitely far from over. We'll take a quick break. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. If you're just joining us on London Live, we will have more on the investigation that was just discussed by the RCMP. It was an investigation of national security that's coming up with Matt Trevithick in about two and a half minutes. So we'll get you right up to date on what has been said 
but I always feel for certain groups when things like this are being announced. And it's because of the way that society can react. I always feel for groups that say, I hope that this person who has been charged and the other person who appears to be involved is not a refugee. And that's coming from refugees. Or you have people who will be, for instance, Muslim or African-Canadian going, I hope that this person is not Muslim. I hope that this person is not African-Canadian. I hope that this person is not whatever group you might identify yourself with. And that's a horrible way to have to feel. Because we've seen, and please go back into the history books, we have seen absolutely every group, large, small, purple, green, short, tall, We've seen everyone represented in heinous crimes and awful criminal activity. So please don't go jumping to any kind of conclusions or don't go raising things up flagpoles saying, well, if we would only do this, then we wouldn't have this problem. Please keep yourself from doing that as details about this case continue to come out. News with Matt Trevithick is coming up next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFBL. Two words. Ready for these? Super commuters. I'm sorry. Did he say supercomputers? They've been around for a long... No, 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 no. Super commuters. Are you trying to say computers and forgetting the P? No. Super commuters. We're going to talk about them in five minutes. We'll go to Stratford in order to do it. In the meantime, if you were going to go to Stratford right now, how would you get there? Well, I would drive my vehicle. Well, what's your VIN number start with on your vehicle? Just a second. Let me dig in here. Uh, Mine's a one. What have you got? Is one good? Well, apparently three is bad. According to Jerry Diaz from Unifor, he would like everyone to boycott vehicles that start with the number three because that indicates that they are made in Mexico. I always, always have issue with people who want to take the stand of, I want to boycott this, and I want to boycott everything that is made outside of Canada or outside the United States. Because here's your challenge. How many steps can you take into your home before you run into something that was not made in Canada or the United States? How many? I mean, you step down on that floor. I'm questioning whether or not it was made in Canada or the United States. You touch that doorknob. I'm questioning whether or not it was made in Canada or the United States. And you know what? I'm almost certain that that welcome mat that you have outside your front door that you just stepped on walking into your home was not made in Canada or the United States. So I appreciate what Jerry Diaz is doing, and I I think he's doing as good a job as he can possibly do in a circumstance that I don't think you can win because you've got a big-time corporation saying we're going in a different direction and we're going to lay off workers because we're going in a different direction. And I don't think you're going to win. I don't think you can win. But 
He's doing what he can to fight. Are you somebody that is going to take a look at that VIN number? And if it is a three, are you going to avoid it? Because that means that it's manufactured in Mexico. Is that what you're going to do? I don't, if I owned a vehicle, if I pulled my VIN number out right now, if I'm looking at my ownership and I saw a three, I would think, oh, that's something I might consider next time I buy a vehicle, but it's not like I'm going to abandon my vehicle on the side of the road and go and get a new one. That's not the way it works. Because how many parts inside that vehicle are not manufactured in Canada or the United States? If I sit down on my seat, where's that coming from? If I touch my cup holder, where's that coming from? Flip my signal switch, turn on the lights, where are those things coming from? So, again, I appreciate what Jerry Dias is trying to do, but I don't I don't know that it's right to take a stand to say, we're only by, yeah, okay, well, if that's the case, then we're only going to be paying a whole lot more because that is the cost. That's why these parts come from different countries. You know, in a global economy that works very well, we give stuff to you, you give stuff to us, we all give stuff to that They give stuff to all of us. That's the way it works. So in this case, we're kind of coming to a dead end. I appreciate what's been done, but I don't know where this is headed. And I don't think too many people need to take that abrupt, guess what, I'll show you, stance. Up next, supercommuters. Supercomputers? No. Super commuters. And you know what? I'm even more excited about super commuters than I was when they started talking about supercomputers. And they made me pretty excited. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. This week we have heard London Mayor Ed Holder talking about unemployment numbers talking about the number of people that aren't looking for work because they can't just go out and find a job. It doesn't work that way. In fact, they've grown frustrated enough that they have stopped looking. And as much as we've seen unemployment figures around 4 or 5%, great. We heard London Mayor Ed Holder say, no, if you factor in the people who aren't looking for work, it's more like 28% in certain demographics. That's big. So what do you do about something like that? Well, maybe Stratford has an idea. Maybe Stratford has an idea because they're right now facing a labor shortage. So if you've got a labor shortage, you need to find laborers. Well, how do we marry one with the other? Joining us right now is Stratford Mayor Dan Matheson to talk more about this. Mayor Matheson, thanks so much for being with us on London Live. Oh, Mayor Matheson, I think I've got to hit one more button. There we go. That's the button I had to hit. Man, I'm glad I'm not running a supercomputer. I do want to talk about supercommuters, though. This is something that maybe we have to scale right back. Labor shortage. When you hear the words labor shortage, what do they make you think of? Well, Mike, I'll tell you, the challenge it makes me think of is that our unemployment rate is very low. It's been under 4%. We've been the lowest unemployment in the province over the last 12 months, every month except one. And in the last three years, we've been one of the lowest uh, in the bottom two for the last three years. So we've had a challenge. 
we have, like London does, uh, a higher number of people on Ontario Works than maybe we'd like. And we've got to find ways to reinvent jobs and get people in them. So super commuters are what we're looking for. Okay. And I think when you say those words, I've been saying them certainly enough, I'm picturing a big flying machine that people are going to get onto and they're going to go somewhere and they're going to find jobs. Uh, what does super commuting actually entail? So what we started to do is we looked at the model that was used out west during the oil boom in Alberta. And we had people getting on planes in the eastern part of Canada and in Quebec, heading out west, working for three weeks, being provided accommodation, and then going home for a week to be back with their family. And we thought, well, why can't we do the same thing here? So we started talking to some of the employers. Uh, we found the company that did a bunch of the work out west, and they're augmented by the great providers we have in town, like Partners of Employment and Connoisseur College Career Counseling, and said, let's try to do that. And they'd come out and work with a few of our industries and found people who would leave other parts of either this province or this country come to Stratford to do that, work three weeks on and take a week off and head back home. And this, you would call this something that's been done and has been showing signs of success? Yeah, we have three or four manufacturers that have signed on to this pilot project and it actually worked. And they found that they were able to get skilled workers from other provinces, uh, other parts of the province to come in and work and really help them meet the needs they have. At the same time, we're taking the people in Stratford that are between employment opportunities, maybe on Ontario Works, or needing skills enhancement, and finding ways to get them into a variety of programs to try to raise them up so they can head back into the workforce. But you can't just do one, you got to do both, because that's the only real long-term solution. Stratford Mayor Dan Matheson joining us as we talk about super commuting, which, as Mayor Matheson painted the picture, when we looked at the boom in the oil fields in Alberta, you could have people going from any part of Canada and out they would go and work in the oil fields for a couple of weeks and then head back home. Now, all of this does seem to have a price tag attached to it. How do you overcome the idea of the travel costs to get people in and then put people up, find them a place to stay? Well, what's happening a lot of the times, we learn this out west, is people would pay a portion of their wage for their accommodation. So we've had employers in Stratford who've looked at this as an opportunity. Say, okay, what's it cost me to not meet my shipping demands? What's it cost me to try to continually train people who started our place, only stay three months and leave? And we said, why don't you take that same amount of money and put it into a fund and have skilled people actually come stay in the community and do it? And the pilot project worked where they said, you know, we're spending the same amount of money, but the day they show up for work, most of them have the skills we need. They've been in these manufacturing type of environments before, and they're ready to start work, minus a few training nuances that go with their specific industry or machinery. But for the most part, they're hitting the ground running, and the quality is there, and it allows the company to stay on top of their production targets, and therefore it's worth the investment. Stratford Mayor Dan Matheson joining us as we talk about super commuting. Overall, would we be looking essentially at contract jobs? Because a lot of times in the past, you could be transferred somewhere. So maybe you're part of a company and out you go to a different location somewhere else in the country, somewhere else on the continent, or, you know, you, you up and move your family. Would this be a job that would pay out benefits? Or is this more of a, a three week on, one week off, three month on, see you later? It's kind of neat, Mike. There's a variety of them. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples. There is one group that's been in. A couple of people out of the 20 
have decided to move to Stratford and they become permanent employees of the organization, full benefits and everything. There are others that I know that are provided either benefits or payment in lieu of benefits, and they're quite happy to do that because ultimately they'd like to return to their part of the province or their part of the country and find full gainful employment. Until that time, though, they just want to have a contributing job to their family's economy and the country's economy, and those individuals are different. Then there's those that say, look, I look at this as a gig. I'm willing to do this for three or four months, but I'm not looking at making a career out of it. And those people are purely transactional. How much will you pay me? What do you want me to do? And I'll do it for that long. And you just got to be, it's such a different outlook for so many of us to what we're used to in the past, which was I want to hire someone, train them, give them benefits and make them part of the team and family long-term. Well, now people maybe don't all share that same opinion. Do you... Do you have any concerns about workers being away from their families in a case like this, or is that something they seem to embrace? You know, there are a couple of things you have to worry about with it. And, you know, we've, we've watched the pilot project work. We talked to people out in Fort McMurray and Wood Buffalo and all the places where they were. And they said, look, first thing, three weeks is max. You start staying away from your family too long and, and not getting enough of a break. Uh, it can run to other problems, you know, depression, do they get homesick? You know, things like that. So you got to be worried about that. So we've tried to keep the, the stints in and out, depending on where they come from, anywhere from two to three weeks at maximum length. And I shouldn't say we. It's really not up to the city. We're an enabler in this. We're trying to help find solutions and put them in front of employers looking for people and people looking for work. And that's really what our job is in this case. Is it costing the city of Stratford anything to have this happen? No, the city of Stratford is not out any money. Our economic development agency is not out any money on this what we are doing is really helping foster ideas and solutions uh cheering them on helping broker meetings helping find solutions where we are spending our our hard-earned tax dollars is we are trying to support local training programs for local citizens to go back in to get the skills they need the support they need and partners as i said such as conestoga college career center whether it's partners in employment those are the people where we're going to spend our money to enable our local residents. And in the short term, we're trying to help enable solutions for our manufacturers. See, I love what you guys have done with autonomous vehicles, and that grabbed attention. And now, super commuting. How much attention is this grabbing? Do you have other municipalities or other companies calling saying, hey, how's that going? Well, we've had lots of interest in it. And it's just not in manufacturing. Now we're finding in the transport sector there's some interest. And I think this is one of those solutions that is going to bear out across a wide spectrum of the economy, depending on the, the skills needed and the number of people that were in that industry compared to what's now. Some of these jobs were traditional jobs where you got in and you stayed 30, 40 years. Now, you know, maybe people aren't willing to do them that long and we've got to find ways to adapt. So we're trying to, to put solutions in front of people, foster the innovation that goes with them, but let them own the outcomes and let them own the costs that go with it. And really, uh, that's that's what municipal government can do in this. I have no lever to spend money uh, uh, on any of this other than to help enable people. Stratford Mayor Dan Matheson with us. Dan, let's finish up with this. If someone is listening right now saying, well, I'm not from northern Quebec, I'm not from Alberta or Saskatchewan, but I am from pretty close to Stratford, could I get in on something like this? What could you tell them? Well, the first thing I'd tell them is absolutely. Uh, we've run buses from the north part of London in the past uh, with some of our employers, and we've done it from parts around Brantford and Kitchener-Waterloo. So we've, we've run the buses. If you are interested, 
you should go to perthcountyjobs.ca and there are lots of jobs on there or contact Invest Stratford. We have a whole roster of almost 200 jobs between manufacturing, retail, tourism and hospitality that are looking for workers and we're helping to marry people up. It's a matchmaking service. Well, it's uh, it's one that hopefully doesn't bring about any bad dates. So far, things are looking up. I like this. Mayor Matheson, thanks so much for the, the time. No, no problem, Mike. All the best to you. Remember to swipe right on Stratford. <laughs> Take care of yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Bye-bye. Swiping right is, is liking, right? Yeah, I, I don't have a Tinder account. I'm, I've never even seen one. But I like this. I mean, our world is so small, and yet it is so large. And I always think it's so important to get out and see other spots. I don't care if they're at the end of your driveway or if they're on the other side of the earth. You've got to see those other spots to realize just how big things are and just how plentiful the opportunities happen to be. I like this. I mean, sure, it does involve... Either the company looking and saying, yeah, we want you, so we're going to help to subsidize some housing while you're here. Otherwise, you're paying for kind of two locations. But as Mayor Matheson points out, you've got people who have gone to Stratford, said, you know, it's a nice little community. Let's move here. And it's clicked with the company and it's worked out. Or you've got people who will go and say, yeah, for three weeks I'm here and then I'm back home for a week and that is my week off. Is that incentive enough if you have not been working to give it a shot? That's three weeks can be a long time. And so that's what you would have to work out with your family. But in the end, could create an opportunity. You know, who wouldn't love to have a job where you kind of circulated around a little bit, where you were able to say, yeah, you know what? Next week we'll be in BC and then the week after we'll be in Cairo. That'd be fun. I'm sure you would long for the security of home after a while, but it would sure be fun to be in that for a little bit. All right, we've got 60 seconds, and Bob, they are your 60 seconds. Yeah, you know, it's uh, not a bad idea. Uh, I, w- I was on both sides of that. So it's, um, I, I, I kind of look at this sometimes with companies that just don't want to give security to employees anymore. You know, they don't want to give them that, like, hey, you show up for 30 years and you're a good employee, and you and you get uh, you know you get your gold watch like and and a pension to go with it. I don't see that happening a lot these days, so sometimes I wonder about that. But the other point I wanted to make is I was kind of doing that when I was younger. I was I was a firefighter uh, for forest firefighting up north, and uh, you know I'd be gone like pretty much all summer, and that's okay when you're single, mm-hmm. adventurous, and that. But when you start having a family and they start shipping you out. Uh, and, and, you know, have one, uh, one person at home taking care of the whole family. It gets a little stressful. That is tough. But is it if, if you are facing the idea of job or no job, would it be something that you would try at least on a temporary basis? Well, yeah, temporarily it might be fine for a while. I mean, I, like, I'm just comparing both sides of it. Like I say, I did it when I was single, and then I got married, and it, and it changed, so I had to get out of the – I had to change employment. And, I, you know, I, I actually did that again for a little bit, too, uh, when I worked for a major utility company in this province. Uh, and they got this idea in their head. I don't know why, but they, what they did is they kind of changed everything up, and they were shipping crews like where I was stationed. And we'd be going for like a week or two at a time working outside. And then other crews would be coming into our area working. And it just didn't make sense. And I don't know why they did this. 
But what happened was, Mike, is they found out there was a lot of, you know, unhappy people because they were away from their families. And they literally just did uh, a 360 and put it right back to what it was because it was costing them money. They were putting us up in lodges and stuff and feeding us really good. Yeah, I think this would be certain companies could do it, other companies could not. Bob, thanks for the two sides on this from your perspective. All right, buddy. Bye-bye. News is coming up in just a moment with Matt Trevithick. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. You know what we're going to do this hour? It's Friday. We're going to try and spend some time not thinking about the fact that today has two very plain details. Weather, cold. Buses, canceled, at least for students. LTC, we've been watching them roll right on by, right on time, right here in our studios at Chorus Radio London at Wellington and King in beautiful city center. We have an opportunity to to get away from that just a little bit, even even if it's kind of living vicariously through one person and talking to somebody who then has the opportunity to live vicariously through others. So we'll talk travel in just a bit. We're going to be joined by Mike Foster from Nexion Travel Group. Because have you ever wondered this? When it's cold, does that actually force people to flock to a travel agent to dare to dream? Even if you just leaf through the brochures? That's therapeutic every once in a while. Just leafing through. If you can do it, and you can talk to people who... Yes, do not have a lot of extra money to spend, but they will diligently save and they'll put away this much money a month. And every couple of years, they'll look in that pot, that pot becomes big. And then they use that and they do take a trip. And even if you have that to look forward to every couple of years, knowing, you know what, I'm going to get away from the cold. I'm going to enjoy some sunshine. You can make it happen. If you're lucky enough to travel a lot, well, does this kind of force you in to doing that? And how early can you actually book? I mean, if you walk in and say, I'm going to have enough money saved up by the year 2036, and I want to book something, how far in advance can we do it? Can you go years? Does it have to be? In- we'll find out. In just a moment. And then we're going to talk with Mark Edwards from HockeyProspect.com. And we're going to talk about the life of a scout. If you're a hockey fan, we'll get him to throw some names at us for players to watch in the upcoming NHL entry draft. But we want to talk about kind of what a scout goes through on the road. And I know Mark not too long ago was in Russia, and he's got a great travel tip. And if you can't be with us in just about a half hour from now, I want to make sure I give it to you because I'll make sure and ask him about this. If you are ever traveling to Russia, which is highly recommended by anyone who has ever been there, you want to see a beautiful city, go to Moscow. You want to see a beautiful city, go to St. Petersburg. It's, they are beautiful. However, you want to make sure that when traveling to Russia, you look at your flights. So, okay, well, I'm, I'm flying in on Thursday, March the 6th, and I will be flying out on Tuesday... March the whatever it would be. Would it be the 12th? Would it be the 13th? I don't do great math. Whatever the Tuesday would be of the following week. That's when you're flying out. So you have that on your ticket. You want to look at your visa that allows you to be in the country. And to get into Russia, you kind of have to take your passport and mail it away. And then what they do is they, you know, check it over and then they mail it back to you. It kind of feels freaky, I guess. I've never done this. Maybe you've done it. You can enlighten us. 
But what you want to do is you want to schedule your visa to stay in effect to accommodate cancellations of flights. Because a lot of times, flights will be canceled. And if your visa is no good anymore, you're not supposed to be there. And they don't take too kindly to that. No, we said you were going to be able to be here till Tuesday. You said you were staying till Tuesday. And now look, you're still here. We can't have that. So you don't want that to happen. So that's just one travel tip for going to Russia. We'll talk with Mark Edwards of HockeyProspect.com in a half hour from now about traveling anywhere as a hockey scout. And if you want to hear the full interview, you can always check out Around the OHL. It's a weekly podcast that Jake Jeffrey and I do. And you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your favorite shows. Even if you want to go and if you miss something that somebody says, hey, you should have heard what they had on London Live. Super commuters. Super computers? No. Super commuters. You could go back and listen. If you missed our interview with Stratford Mayor Dan Matheson, then I would encourage you to check out the podcast later today. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your favorite shows. Right now, let's talk travel. I don't know what the weather's doing where you are right now. It's one of those days where if you look up and it's cloudy, walk a block or walk six feet. Chances are it'll be sunny there. It's just one of those days in and around the area of southwestern Ontario. Well, right now at Wellington and King, it is sunny, but I guarantee it's not sunny. And, hey, can I have a mojito, please? That's not what it is. Margarita? Nope. Hot chocolate? Now you're getting warmer. Joining us is Mike Foster. He's the president of Nexion Travel Group. Mike, it is cold. We can't change that. You holding up okay? I am. I'm staying warm inside here today. Okay, good. That's important. I don't know. It depends where you're situated in southwestern Ontario, whether you're underneath a streamer or whether you're in bright sunshine. It's one of those crazy kinds of days. I don't know what this does. The one thing that we have had, and it looks like we'll have, John Wilson was saying this morning, probably two more weeks of this, is pretty frigid cold. When things get like this... Do you get a lot of knocks on your door, and and does your cell phone buzz a little bit more? Absolutely. When the weather gets cold, uh, people are looking for an escape. Um, We started off mild this year, as you know, so uh, perhaps people were waiting a little bit just to see how the winter would, would materialize. But yeah, it's not uncommon for people to call last minute and try to escape this cold. You just said two very interesting words that I think become almost a curiosity for anyone who is looking to travel, and that is last minute. Is that a good thing to try to take advantage of? Well, that's a great question. I think travelers are becoming more and more experienced and sophisticated, so they're dealing with this question, too. I think there's a couple of things to keep keep in mind. One is if you are set on a specific destination, hotel, resort, you may want to book early because, uh, you know, you may find that it's not available as you get closer to travel. If you're pretty flexible, as most Canadians are when they're looking at the sun, we're looking for, you know, good value, we're looking for sun, and we're looking for easy access. Uh, waiting, you know, to, to closer to travel date is not necessarily a bad thing. But, again, you might be disappointed and not get your first choice. Yeah. When you say book early, how early will certain resorts and places that when you look up there is sun all the time, uh, how early will they take bookings? Well, you can book years in advance, really, to be honest with you. If, you really, you know, if you're booking a big group, maybe a wedding, it's not uncommon for people to book a year or two in advance. But for the typical traveler... Um, 
you know, we'll start getting next winter's brochures out uh, in a few months. Uh, if you're traveling during a peak time, Christmas, March break, something, again, you really have to travel at that time and you have a place in mind, people will book early, and they do offer some early booking incentives quite often as well. Um, also not uncommon anymore is a price drop guarantee with a lot of these suppliers too. Not everybody, but but a lot of them. Uh, so some people will will book early and feel comfortable that, you know, if the price drops, I, I, I might get a bit of a, 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 a refund or a rebate. But it's not always the case, and you really need to read the fine print. Speak to a travel professional to help wade through all these things. But, yeah, busy times. People are booking early. If you're traveling in January, not not uncommon for people to wait, you know, as we get closer to January because it's a, it's a slower time. When you mention price drop, is that like working with a mortgage broker, and, and once you're locked in, it can go down, but it can't go up? Um, yes, that it's that same kind of principle. So if the price was to drop, uh, you booked in advance, the price was to drop, again, you've got to read the fine print because it's not as simple as all of this, but there is some protection for a, a, you know, a significant price drop. If it's a few dollars, typically it's not covered. And you also sometimes have to pay something for the price drop access. So things can change, and it's, again, good to read the fine print. Mike Foster with us from Nexion Travel Group as we just try to think of sunnier, warmer places right now because it is going to be cold for the next couple of weeks. So even if we sit back and dare to dream, it'll feel better for a Friday (laughs) for sure. Now, you mentioned peak times, and sometimes they can be some of the most expensive times to travel simply because a lot of people have it off. But with how busy families are and people going in different directions, if they wanted to arrange something together, any tips for kind of traveling in peak periods, whether it's March break coming up or even next year during the holidays? Well, you know, that's a great point. It, it, travel, like anything, really does follow the, the laws of supply and demand. I mean, the, the busier the time, Christmas, March break, uh, the, the, the higher the price and, the, you know, the, the more challenging the availability. If you're traveling, again, you have to go to a certain place, certain resort. And also, as you just pointed out, there's a group of people. You want to do that early because... You may find yourself not with, you know, with not enough rooms or maybe not the same price, uh, maybe not the same part of the resort. So it is good to plan ahead if you've got a, a, a smaller or even a large group. Obviously, a larger group would be more important. But, yeah, timing can play uh, can be a consideration when you're looking at peak times and, and lots of people. If you look at people in this area or Canadians, where do we tend to go when we travel? What are popular spots right now? Well, that's, yeah, it, it really does depend on the time of year. There's a couple of things that, that, that you need to keep in mind. Of course, winter, we're looking for sun. And again, people are looking for easy access, good prices, good value, and a nice, nice dependably warm weather. Um, so from, from this area, I mean, we have some nice flights uh, out of London Airport here, which is making some of these destinations very popular. We've got flights to Cuba, uh, Mexico, uh, Florida, uh, Montego Bay, so these will be popular destinations for London just because of easy access right out of London Airport. But in general, most Canadians from this part of the country, at least, are traveling to Florida. Uh, cruising is very popular in the Caribbean, of course. Uh, Mexico is, is, not, is one of the top. U.S. is still number one. Mexico is probably number two. Cuba is probably number two or three, depending on the year. Um, but those, those are the busiest destinations for sure because of price, because of lift, you know, the, the, the availability of flights. Um, good value. Do you see much travel to Europe? Yeah, snowbirds are spending some time in Europe. So instead of just going to Florida like a lot of snowbirds, they're, they're looking at places like Portugal, uh, Spain, 
uh, my wife and I went on a, um, a Christmas markets uh, river cruise uh, this winter, which was, uh, you know, obviously there's not a lot of those. It's kind of a, a niche, but uh, really enjoyed it. Less popular, uh, probably less busy, I should say, better prices. So, yeah, some parts of Europe are busy, uh, especially at Christmas time. So how does a river cruise differ from an ocean cruise? Well, a river cruise is pretty cool. You're, you're, you're in a much, much smaller ship, you know, 100, 120, 130 cabins. Um, you know, better attention, more, more service, but it's also just a, a very relaxing way to watch Europe go by your window. And <laughs> uh, an ocean cruise, you know, you look out your cabin, and uh, there's and normally there's just lots of water out there, which is can be interesting. But in Europe, you've got you know castles and, and vineyards and and towns and villages, and it, it, it's it's a panorama going by all the time. It's it's a really nice way to travel. When you look at cruising, what do you think is is the thing that really attracts people to it? Oh yeah, that's you know I think it's the there's, there's probably a few things depending on the person. For some people, it's the food and entertainment. For some people, it's the ports of call. Um, for some, it's that you you know you, you you're not in one place the entire time. You can visit a different port, you know, three or four four or five ports, whatever the itinerary provides. So I think it's the, the movement. Also, you know, it's, it's a close space. You can travel with people and kind of see them all the time. You're always able to meet up for lunch or dinner. Um, so I think it, it, it can be a number of things. But we're also seeing one on the opposite end of the spectrum, a lot of smaller cruises, some of the luxury cruises coming out with relatively few cabins, really good food, great service, great amenities. But, yeah, cruising has been very – and shows no sign of slow, slowing down. There's more and more ships coming out, bigger ships coming out. I was on a really large ship in the fall, uh, completely different experience than, than uh, you know, earlier cruise that I've been on. Um, 6,000 passengers. It's, it's just amazing. It's like a town. Wow. Floating on the water. Mike Foster with us from Nexion Travel Group. As we dare to dream, we, we can sit here in the cold, but maybe, just maybe, <laughs> we could be somewhere warmer where ocean spray will hit our faces and you can walk up on a beach. Some people will say, yeah, I, don't, I don't know about cruising because you can't really get all-inclusive plans. Are they changing that at all? You can. Um, you can get... Uh, either all-inclusive or mostly inclusive. For example, the one I was just mentioning I was on in the fall, you can buy a drink package. Um, so, you know, your meals are, of course, included. Now, there are some extras. You know, there are a few things you can pay for on board, but you can generally take care of it all in one price. So whether you add a piece, I mean, if you're not a drinker and you just want a, a soft drink package, you can add a, a, a package that, that's at a good value, uh, but you can kind of make it all-inclusive. still would pay for things like shore excursions, um, there's a few amenities on board you might pay for, like a, a spa treatment or something like that. You can make it pretty inclusive. Mike, before we let you go, let's ask this. For anybody who says, yeah, I'm sitting here, I'm dreaming right along with you, but no way am I making this happen. I'll never have the money to do it. Uh, what would you say to somebody who hasn't looked into travel and says, you know, I, I don't think I can ever afford it? Well, that's a great question because it can be expensive. There's no question. You can maybe wait till the last minute and see if you can find a good deal. That could be uh, one way. Uh, traveling in off-peak seasons, go in January instead of Christmas. Big difference in price. Um, also, there's nothing wrong with jumping in a car and driving. You know, a lot of people still drive to Florida for, for a holiday. And, and, you know, gas prices are pretty reasonable now. Um, so, you, you know, if there's a will, there's a way. You can find a way to do it. it, it again, it might be off-peak. It might be traveling in a in, in less luxurious style, just in your car or maybe even a bus. But uh, 
Uh, travel is pretty affordable for most people. We've got a new airline just came into uh, to London Airport. I know you were talking about last week. It's going to provide really good value, not to the sun, unfortunately, but <laughs> but there's you know there's more and more of those kinds of options as well. Cheap airlines are out there as well. Well, we'll try and find a sunny day in Edmonton for anybody who wants to fly swoop to Edmonton. I, I know it does shine there every once in a while. Mike, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you for giving us a break My from the pleasure. cold. All the My best. Pleasure. You too. Thanks, Mike. Mike Foster, president of Nexion Travel. So, yeah, I guess we kind of forget that. We, we kind of get zoned into, well, you got to go to a resort or you've got to go on a cruise or you've got to take a special Europe. No, get in the car and go. See the world. Become a super commuter. Coming up next, I want to talk about something that is a little nasty, but it's in the category of somebody paid for this to be studied. Really? It involves subway stations and smells. Hmm. Remember scratch and sniff? That was always big when you were a kid. Hey, scratch this off. Yeah, smell that. Ooh, strawberry. Yeah, well, they're not talking about strawberries this time around, and if somebody's scratching something, you definitely don't want to sniff it. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. U.S. President Donald Trump is speaking from the Rose Garden outside the White House. Oh, is he welcoming the Golden State Warriors? No. He's not doing that. Did you see what the Golden State Warriors did yesterday? Remember... Donald Trump rescinded their invitation to the White House after becoming NBA champions after Steph Curry and a couple of the other guys said, yeah, we're not going. Nah. So he pulled the invitation. Not the first time this has happened. They actually were in Washington yesterday where they hammered the Wizards because the Wizards are awful. But they met with Barack Obama. (laughs) But here's actually what's happening. This is is far more important. U.S. President Donald Trump is actually talking about a deal that has now been reached within, what, a little over the last hour to temporarily end the government shutdown in the United States. Somebody must have gone and said, look, these workers, uh, they've got some serious issues right now with this. We need to get them some money. So last night they had tried in the Senate two different things. There were two different votes. There was a vote that came from the Republicans that would look at, you know, money for the wall and then a few other things, and they voted on that, and it was 50 to 47, and so it was a close vote, but it was 10 votes shy of what they needed to pass that, so that one went down, and then senators voted on the Democrats' idea, and that vote came 52. Two to 44, so that was eight votes shy of making things happen. The Democrats were looking to open up some of the agencies through February 8th. They wouldn't give any money for the wall, and so eight votes short, so that kind of cacked out. Now, we do have a deal, but this is going to be, a, according to a number of news outlets, a temporary, I guess, stoppage of the shutdown and so they're looking at three weeks workers will receive back pay and i you know what in not being a fly on the wall in this you can look and say okay they had to find a way to get these workers money and you can't just say oh hey uh well here comes some checks no there's a government shutdown you're not working 
So they will restore things for three weeks. There is no money for the wall. And the figure being thrown around is still $5.7 billion for this wall. I still can't believe we are as far into the Trump presidency. And this is still a thing. Give me a break. Take the checkmark box off the list. Stop. But we, we're still talking about it. And so they'll, they'll let them go back for three weeks. There's no money for the wall. And from there, well, who knows? They'll continue their discussions. They're close. You know, the Republican vote was, or the vote on the Republican idea was 10 votes short. Report on the Democratic idea was eight votes short. So they're close, but you need 60% to get it done. And that's not happening. Sometimes you should have to have a vote for certain things. And if you don't get 60%, it shouldn't happen. Money was given out for a thing. I like to look at this every once in a while. They spent money on what study? They did the what now? In New York, at Hunter College, they decided to apply for some money to study subway stations. Well, that's not bad. That's not a bad idea. No, let's be more specific. They spent money to study elevators at subway stations. Again, not bad, right? Let's make sure they're working properly. Some people have children. Some people have heavy loads coming off the subway. Hey, it's nice to have elevator. Disabilities make sense. Not exactly. What they studied was odor factor in subway stations. And here's what they found, because I know that you need to know this. They found that 36% of elevators in subway stations in New York, and they studied 64 of them, had noticeable odors. And 6% of elevators in subway stations had odors that could be described as pungent. Thank you for spending the money to tell us that. People pee in the elevators and subway? Who knew? Who knew? News is coming up next with Matt Trevithick. We'll get you caught up on an RCMP news conference from earlier today on something that is being said by Jerry Diaz of Unifor and on the end of the government shutdown in the United States, at least for a little while. This is London Live and Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We have the London Knights and the Windsor Spitfires for you tonight. We'll have coverage starting at 6.30. Knights and Spitfires played last night, 7-3 final. The Knights won it. And this is the only home game again for a week. Lots of road stuff for the London Knights. They're in Oshawa on Sunday. They're in Flint on Wednesday. But they are tied for first place overall in the Ontario Hockey League. That's a very good sign. We're going to find out about the life of a hockey scout in about five minutes from now. Mark Edwards will join us from HockeyProspect.com. While he's here, we'll have to ask him about some of the names of the upcoming draft. But I want to get some behind the scenes of what it's like. Where do you stay? What do you do? How do you work out where you're going to be? Because Mark Edwards doesn't just scout Ontario. He doesn't just scout Canada. He scouts. Hey, Mark, there's this hockey player. And I think that he is at the bottom of the Dead Sea, and he's playing in a bubble. Mark would find a way to go and see that guy. Australia, Tanzania, he, if it was worth the trip. There are hockey leagues in Australia. I don't know what the level is. Junior C, I don't know. 
It's pretty impressive, though, when you actually look and, and you think, okay, well, you know, Mexico's playing Estonia in a Group 3 World Hockey Championship qualifying tournament. You think, these guys won't be able to stand up. Think again. They're actually really good. Uh, they're just not of the class of National Hockey Leaguers to make it through to the actual World Hockey Championship. But if you thought, you know what? I have some heritage in Estonia. I could go and be an Estonian hockey player. Mm, you better make sure you're pretty good. Otherwise, it's probably not going to work out all that well. And you, and you don't want to get crushed like that. You would go over and get cut. You'd have to come home and get a personal support alligator. Because that's a thing now. Who has a personal support alligator? Well, Joey Henney does. He's uh, 65 years old, and he's from West Philadelphia, born and raised. Five feet long, 60 pounds. That's a skinny alligator, isn't it? If you're five feet, 60, yeah, that's, that's thin. So that's what he has. And he says that the alligator likes hugs. With what, his jaw? This is an alligator. How often could you trust that? We always hear these stories about people who have exotic pets, because essentially that's what it is. Give me a break. Personal support alligator. No, it's not. You just don't want to have your alligator booted from your home, so you're trying to call it a personal support alligator so that somebody doesn't show up and say, Hi, wildlife control? Yeah, uh, get a cat. You're not supposed to have that alligator in here. Well, it's my personal support alligator. He gives me hugs. What, with his jaw? What? You're going to wake up one night, and that alligator is going to be standing over you saying, I thought you were going to give me two chickens for dinner. I only got one. So I'm going to make up for that by taking your foot. What exactly are you supposed to do with a personal support alligator? This apparently was prescribed to him by a therapist. It's got paperwork. But come on. Really? Cats are really nice. Dogs are nice. And a lot of them need homes. Alligators, you know where they belong? Golf courses in Florida. Or the Everglades. That's where they, they like that. They don't want to be in West Philadelphia, born and raised. Next thing you know, they'll be in Bel Air. All right, we're going to take a break. Next up, we will find out about the life of a hockey scout. This is London Live. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We'll have more details on the end of the U.S. government shutdown, but it's not the official end. What are they going to do in three weeks? It's always the thing. You know when your dentist calls you and says, you're due for a checkup, and you say, that's outstanding. And they say, it's scheduled for Friday. And then you say, you know what would be better than Friday? Three weeks from Friday. Let's do that. Because three weeks from Friday feels like a long way away. It'll never come. Three weeks from Friday. It's too far into the future to actually arrive. And then it comes anyway. And you've just put it off. So why not get it over with? Why not do this now? Well, they tried in the U.S. Senate last night. And the Republicans put forth what they thought would work. And it didn't get the necessary votes. It got a majority, but was 10 votes short of 60%. And then the Democrats stood up and they said, okay, well, no, no, here's, here's our proposal. This will end the government shutdown. And it was eight votes short of 60%. So they've somehow agreed to put this dentist appointment of a thing off until 
three weeks from now, government officials and government employees will return to work. They'll get back pay. They'll get caught up on their bills because that's what this is about. This is about finding a way to put money in the pockets of the people who need it right now because, oh, your mortgage payment is past due. Your hydro bill is past due. Your credit card bill is not looking pretty. Here's an interest charge. So they've got to find a way to get money into the pockets of these people, and that's what this is about because they still haven't solved anything, and they're just getting along as as awful as both the Democrats and the Republicans in the United States have ever gotten along, aren't they? We'll see if they can fix it in the next three weeks, but I bet you it's like this. You know what's better than a dentist appointment Friday? A dentist appointment in three weeks from Friday. You're still going to have to go to the dentist. You're still going to find a way to get the work done. And you got to find a way to get the work done. Let's talk about work in behind the scenes of a job that can be pretty fascinating. Now, if you hate hockey, I would not recommend trying to get a job like this. If you do not like being in cold arenas, watching people skate around, sizzling their way after a frozen piece of rubber, this is not for you. But what's it like to be a hockey scout? We've invited, and he's come in, Jake Jeffrey into the studio. He is part of the Around the OHL podcast. He's actually the guy who came up with it in the first place. He and I do this each and every week, and we've got a new podcast that is coming out probably later today, if not early tomorrow, and you'll be able to hear our full interview with Mark Edwards. But we're going to start that interview right now because joining us on London Live happens to be Mark Edwards from HockeyProspect.com. Mark, how are things? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, January's busy month it's always uh this midterm season list type of thing and then we get uh we figured out who we've keyed in on so far and then we bear down on those guys as we head towards june how do you plan out where you're going to be and when i mean how much of your life is spent scheduling yourself i always say this, like i come back it's amazing oh mark wait you, uh, oh sorry mark can i ask that question again it just it started to cut up a bit I'll just I'll ask that question again. How much of your life is spent scheduling yourself? Yeah, it's actually, uh, you get really good at being a travel agent, I'll tell you. Uh, but uh, I think when people just begin scouting uh, or something they don't realize what scouting is, is just the planning, um, the, the amount of planning that goes into scheduling and trying to be productive. Uh, you know, you're, you're trying to uh, head into the Quebec Major Junior league and, and work around uh, their schedule there and, and make it a productive trip uh, with, you know, keeping costs down. And, and whether that be uh, cost for, for myself and my company, which is a lot smaller budget than the NHL uh, team scouts, but people don't realize that they too, they're, you know, they're, they're not staying in five-star downtown hotels all the time. I mean, they, they will stay uh, on the outskirts of town at a, a courtyard instead of a full-service Marriott if it's 50 bucks cheaper, that kind of thing. And I, I don't mean to sound like they're, you know, <laughs> they're scrounging it in uh, rodent-infested hotels, but, I mean, they do they do look to try and save within their own budgets. Well, that's a big part of it is getting the most bang for your buck, I'm sure, not only with uh, the accommodation and stuff like that, but for deciding which games you want to go to. Uh, on an ideal game, how many prospects are sort of uh, on your radar? Because you're not watching the game as a whole. Is it typically you kind of go there to watch two, three, four players? Or, you know, how many have you on? It, it's just dictated by, 
you know, any given season. So this year, for example, uh, I've been going to the Quebec Major Junior League quite a bit. Uh, the Ontario Hockey League is a little bit of a, a down year. Uh, and the Quebec Major Junior League, you know, for example, they're spread out. So we got one in Bay Como, one in Charlottetown, you know, one in St. John. Uh, there's a couple in Halifax, at least. Uh, there's, well, there's a couple in Blanville, one that I've more keyed in on, you know, and the list goes on. So as you can see, when it's that many teams, on one in Gatineau, there's that many teams, um, it makes it a little more difficult because there's several trips. I just, just last night was starting to look ahead uh, at February and trying to figure out the best way to go see all these guys uh, in Quebec. Um, the most bang for my buck because it's, there, there is the guy in Bay Como. I want to see Bulldogs again in Blanville. Uh, Halifax, uh, Moncton are coming through. Pelche is a guy that went all the way to Moncton and he wrote an exam on the Wednesday night I was there. He didn't play. And then we were uh, flying out about dinner time, so we left halfway through the game uh, for a 4 p.m. start. So you see the kind of stuff scouts come up against, like, you know, you fly into Moncton on a Wednesday night and the kid writes an exam instead of playing. And uh, <laughs> that's just that's just the scouting life, right? I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, you just have to schedule again and go back and see him. But uh, Peterborough I've seen five times. I've seen Nick Robertson once. He was injured. And, and it's not that I went to the game expecting him to be playing. I didn't, but it was just, uh, you know, there's Hunter Jones there as well. But just as an example, I've got to get out and see Nick Robertson more uh, in the second half because it just didn't happen in the first half. Mark Edwards joining us from HockeyProspect.com. As Mark says, a scout is always part-time travel agent. In fact, I still hold true to I want to visit Russia, and Mark has said Russia is a beautiful place to go, but make sure you extend your visa beyond the day that your flight leaves. That's just one of those travel tips that you wouldn't get everywhere because you know you don't want your visa to run out just in case your flight is canceled. I can still I can still remember walking back from the rink in Sochi. Uh, we could walk back to the hotel. It was a beautiful night. We were flying out about uh, 4 a.m. out of Sochi, uh, about 30 scouts, and I was with Todd Button from the Calgary Flames at the time, walking back, and we were looking at the sky. We're like, okay, clear sky. Uh, we know there's at least 30 scouts on our flight. I think I don't think they're going to cancel this sucker because they're just famous for saying, not enough people on the flight. We're done. And my visa was ending the next day. I, I made the rookie mistake at that time. So I was uh, sweating buckets, so to speak. <laughs> I was so happy to get on that plane and, and land in Istanbul. I was like, and, and also it was a struggle eating that, uh, I won't get too deep in this, but it was a struggle eating that week. So uh, I ate like a king in the uh, Turkish Airways Lounge in Istanbul. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Edwards from HockeyProspect.com. You can check out the latest top 31 NHL draft prospects. It came out on January 23rd, so very recent in terms of what the guys have been doing. We've heard the name Jack Hughes, Jack Hughes, Jack Hughes over and over, and sometimes the media will catch on to a name. You know, if you think about it, well, Connor McDavid or Tyler versus Taylor when Taylor Hall and Tyler Sagan were kind of one-two as to who you take. Fans love to know who that number one guy is going to be. Mark, is this year's draft about one guy, or is it about a, a top two, a top three I, th- I think Hughes is, is amongst uh, uh, at the top of most scouts list. We, you know, we just, as you said, we just finished our ranking. We had one scout uh, on our staff that put uh, Capo Caco in his number one slot. The rest of us had Hughes. It's not a runaway, I don't think, this year because, uh, 
Kapokako is a fantastic prospect uh, himself. Uh, but I think the consensus would be Hughes uh, at the top. Uh, he's he's got the that the ability to uh, just wow people with the the flash and dash. I call it with, with the skating. Uh, but within that flash and dash, there's a whole lot of production. Uh, the skating is just high high end. Uh, he's able to do things with the puck, the creativity, the vision. So. Uh, there, there's a reason that he's at the top of the list. And uh, while there is a time in some years too much hype on certain guys, I think Jack Hughes has you know, proven that he's living up to uh, the hype for the most part anyway. And Mark, you mentioned a bit of a, a quiet year as far as OHL prospects goes. Who are some of those guys you know that OHL fans should be keeping an eye for if that team's coming to town? Or you know, some of those guys who could maybe be a sneaky pick? Yeah, well, obviously for you guys in London, you know the Connor McMichael, and he's our second-ranked prospect of the OHL. I will say that our OHL um, prospects, with just ranking them within the league, is really tight. Ryan Suzuki just kind of held them off. That's more on the ceiling for me, and when I say ceiling, obviously it's just a potential thing. I just don't think Ryan is 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 uh, played kind of up to his tool, so to speak, uh, whereas McMichael has got a lot more out of his tools, and, and you guys see him a lot more than I do, but, uh, you know, he's a very smart player. I'm always looking smart, number one. That's the first thing I look for is that hockey IQ. Then we'll go to uh, compete skill, and I just edge compete a little bit more because I think you can have skill, but if you don't compete, you're, you're in trouble. So I go compete, skill, and then obviously skating is another factor. Um, and there is... There is a point where if the skating is so bad, it can be a huge issue. But uh, um, we've seen in the past that some players are just so smart and, and so skilled. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly is a player that I coached a little bit. Obviously, you guys saw him come through the OHL. Not a fantastic elite skater uh, by any means, but he was so good in those other areas, including the hockey IQ, um, that you know he succeeded. Uh, just some other names. I think Hunter Jones is, is really doing himself uh, um, service this year. Just the, the way he's played, he's under siege a lot in Ice and Peterborough, facing a ton of shots. I think he projects really well with his tools uh, as far as the NHL is concerned. He's got the size. Uh, I love the way he gets across his net. Um, who else are some other guys? Uh, Tomasino started to pick it up in Niagara, uh, starting to put points on the board. Another player. Little guy Jamison Reese doesn't get a whole lot of fanfare. Um, really skilled, compete through the roof. Uh, I think he's, you know, he's quicker rather than fast, and that would be my my issue with him is just projecting kind of the overall skating for the NHL. Uh, but a player I like, and then a guy that's come on a little bit is Graham Clark, uh, who also last year had skating issues, and I really took a long time to see Ottawa this year, but finally. Uh, Got a couple of viewings under my belt, and uh, he played really well at a game. And I was at in Ottawa recently, and I was shocked at how his skating has progressed. And uh, talking to a few people within the organization, he's been working hard at it. And uh, he scored a nice goal last night in the prospect game. So there's a few. Nicholas Robertson, I mentioned earlier, I've seen him once in my five, five Peter Rowe viewings. Had a nice night last night. Uh, really good vision, creativity. For me, it's more just about the rest of his game, compete, some turnovers, that sort of thing. But I get nitpicky. Mark, we can't thank you enough for shedding uh, some behind-the-scenes on scouting and talking about some of those prospects that we can keep our eyes on. We'll have to talk right before the NHL entry draft and uh, when everybody's got that last look at all of those guys to see what you think. I appreciate it. We'll see you soon. 
Mark Edwards from HockeyProspect.com. Check out that top 31 list if you want to learn some of, them, of those names or at least some more of those names. We have London Knights hockey coming up. We'll give you a little teaser preview of that next. And then we'll get set for news. John Wilson will be by looking at the forecast. Do have a cold weather alert. We'll have details on that and lots of other things happening from an RCMP investigation that was presented in the form of a news conference earlier today that dealt with charges that have been laid and raids that were conducted because of issues of national security. So, I mean, this this is a story to follow. Government shutdown stops, at least for now, in the U.S. as well. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Coming up, Matt Trevithick has news. We'll find out just how cold it is going to get this weekend and whether or not we're going to see any kind of sunshine. Knights and Spitfires tonight. The Knights beat Windsor 7-3 last night. Windsor's got a couple of 16-year-olds that are scary to watch. One is Liam Foody's brother, Jean-Luc Foody. Watch for him. He wears number 93. And watch for number 13, Will Cooley. This guy could be in the NHL in a couple of years. Good players. Covered starts. At 6.30, thanks to Jacqueline Carbone. London Live brought to you by Winmar, your restoration specialist. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.